I just wanted to let you know that I wrote something in my journal, a prayer to God, and John asked me to read that to you. So that's what I have for you this morning. And, uh, and it starts, Heavenly Father, please give your words to John this morning. Help him to see how proud you are of him. He has gone from an attic to an elder. How great is that? Let him show others how much he loves what you have done in his life, where he felt so hopeless and lost in his addictions to your saving grace and love. You gave him his life back, and you led him to be a child of yours. He is a good husband, a good father, a good grandfather, and a good great-grandfather. He has truly given his heart to you, and he wants to serve you always. Let him see how much he is loved by you and his family. Please give him the words to share with the church family that they will see how much you have done in his life. He feels very strong that if you had not intervened, he would not be alive today. Only through your help of pulling him out of the dark hole and back to the light, to your loving arms, is he alive today. He is very proud to be an elder and to serve you with his life. We are grateful what you have done in our lives and, and that you have come, that we can come to you always, down to the smallest details, and know that you will help us. One of my favorite verses is 1 John 3, 1, and it says, We are so blessed to be called the children of God. So please be with John this morning and bless his words. Amen. Hey, bring me back my papers. <laughs> I was going, oh no, I'm lost already. <laughs> you have to just go by. <laughs> I don't know if you want me to get off course here. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm not a preacher, so what you get, what you see is what you get. What comes out of this mouth, blame it on the Holy Spirit. You know, so... Um, you know, God's power has been working in, in my life for a long, long time. And I never, there were many years I never even recognized any of it. Never saw it, never thought, you know, oh, well, that's God's thing. That's, it was always me. I always did it all. It was the self. I was raised that way. There was nothing unusual about somebody from my era saying, hey, take care of business. When you're not raised in the church, that's what you're taught take care of business. So I learned how to take care of business. Wasn't always the appropriate way to do things, but I learned how to take care of business. So um, I just, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking, well, what's the difference in God's power and man's power? And we measure man's power in, in so many different ways. You know, I mean, I look at my military experience and I think, wow, a lot of those weapons that I handled, that I saw, 
and what they could do to people, what they could do to structures, whatever it might be, and it can just totally eliminate whatever it was aimed at. And you look at maybe somebody who's got a lot of money, powerful man, powerful woman, CEO of this, whatever. You think, well, that's, that's man's power. I remember in high school there was, uh, you know, the real popular car in high school was a 1957 Chevy two-door, 327 cubic inches, 350 horse, four speed on the floor, 411 pause attraction rear end, and that car would get up and fly. And that was power. That was the power. I used to love to go to the drag races as a kid. Well, not as a kid, as an adult, too. And you'd see these cars, you know, they got a million horsepower, fly down the quarter mile in three seconds. That's not driving, that's just, you're just pointing a rocket. But it's power. It's man's power. We create these things to have a lot of power. I used to do water skiing quite a bit. And we'd race behind these boats that just had two little seats and engine. You know, and these things would do 100, 120 miles an hour down a straightaway. And I'm back there on a water ski. How stupid is that? You know, it's crazy. But, you know, that's how we kind of measure things. You know, the fancy cars, the fast and powerful things. Um, One of the most powerful things, and it's not a good power at all in most cases, that God has given us, and man uses it in a very inappropriate way so much, is our tongue. You know, there was this little girl who was a cute little girl. She was born out of wedlock. And in those times, that was a very, very disgraceful thing to have happen. So she was just a carefree little girl, dark-haired girl, um, she was given to her grandparents, were very Christian. That little girl was taken and put up in front of the church and made wrong for the way she was born. She was told it's her fault. You did it. And it was the tongues of those people that changed that little girl's life. And it also changed my life, because that was my mother. So she was given that, this is the way that Christians are. That the power of the tongue changed the way that my mom looked at what Christians were like. And how you treated people who were Christians. Or how Christians treated people. And so, as we grew up, my mom rejected just about everything that had to do <clears throat> with church, with Christian people, so on and so forth. She really had nothing to do with it. And even to the day when she was, was in the hospital in Pasadena at the Huntington Hospital, she, the last 30 days of her life she um, spent in the hospital dying of cancer, of lung cancer. And um, she, there was a hospital pastor who came around and, and, you know, wanted to pray with people. And my mother had this time of clarity that she said, you get the out of here. Don't ever come back in my room. 
And so for me, it was kind of a, a, a standard bearer for me. I never remember in my home a Bible. Uh, I remember my, my grandmother would read from a Bible every so often, but that was over across the street in their house. I never, never saw really, or I, don't, I can't remember us even you know, asking a blessing at a meal. It was just like, hey, dinner's ready. So we all sit down and eat. And so it was not, that tongue was just not a, used in, in that manner. It's just a very, very, it's a dangerous weapon. It, you can do more harm with your tongue than anything else. And I was, as I was kind of looking at this and how our words can really strike and hurt somebody, in James 3, um, in verses 5 to 10, it reads here that, Even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among other members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison." With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men. We have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be so. And with my mom, I always kind of felt um, she never really had that opportunity to really come to know God very well. When my dad passed away, and my dad passed away when he was 42 from a heart attack. And my dad attended a Presbyterian church. And I know he tried to drag us kids along a lot of times. Oh, I hated that, you know. Sunday was the time to go play baseball with all your buddies. And go ride your bike like Malin, you know, go get lost somewhere. You know, I had a 10-speed a, a bike that I had worked really hard to get. And, you know, it was, this thing had these skinny little tires and every little bump in the road, you'd feel it and you'd get in one of those grooves and you couldn't get out of it. You know, you're like trying to, okay, come on. I remember riding around the Rose Bowl, which wasn't too far from where I lived. The Rose Bowl had these big drains in them. They had these grooves in the drain. And I'm looking off and all of a sudden I'm just eating asphalt. That tire went down in between the, the slats and hit on the side, and I just did it on the asphalt, straight across. And I thought, oh, great, there goes my 10-speed bike. It just put a big V in the, in the rim. So uh, just a little share, a little bicycle story also. Um, but, you know, with my mom's experience, it just made a big impact on how... There was my, my two brothers, myself, and my older sister on how we really looked at religion, how we really felt that 
you know, it was a hypocritical thing. You know, it, there was just, to me, it was just like, this is ridiculous. Why do people go and, and pray to a God who doesn't help you out, who just creates problems, who, you know, because what I was looking at and what I think my mom was looking at at the time, because I never really had an opportunity to really sit down to, with her and say, what do you believe in? But I think she was, she was looking at the flesh, she was looking at the people whose those words came from, and she never, she never had that connection with God. We were talking about it in Sabbath school today. A lot of these things you look at and you feel and so on and so forth, but you, you don't have that connection with God. It's your own personal connection. I mean, I can look at every one of you in here today, and I don't know what your connection is with God. We come here and, and pray and praise God together every Sabbath. But truly, what is your personal connection with God? Where, it is, where, it is, where do you stand with your connection with Him? And that's something I think that each and every one of us have to find out for ourselves. You know, Zach can sit up here and preach the greatest message in the world. Or when Ivor was here, you know, he can preach a great message. But if you, fall, if you leave this room and you feel like your heart is still empty from something, it's just it's like, it's for you. You have to take whatever that is. You have to find out what that, that is, your connection to him. Um, so it, it did make a huge impact on us boys and my sister as to how we believed and what we believed in. And Vietnam was no help. When I went over there, it was the same kind of hypocrisy. Because I'd never, even when I went over there, it was just like I didn't have any real belief. I had a belief that there was a God. But part of my job was to shuttle preachers, priests, whatever, on helicopters in and out to some of these forward operating bases to make sure that they got out there. I wasn't the pilot, but sometimes the, the crew guys would come to me to get these guys out, get them going. But they would go out and they'd preach the message of, oh, thou shalt not kill and, you know, be good to your brother, love your brother, you know, love your enemy. Then they'd turn around and go get them, boys. And it's like, what? How do you do that? And there was an article in a, a veterans magazine, a newspaper that I get, about that exact thing. And this has been 40 years later, that these, a lot of these preachers and priests and others who went out to minister to the guys out in the field are struggling greatly with guilt because of the message that was taken to them out there. There are some who, maybe they did a great job, I didn't, you know, didn't have contact with all of them. But they, the, it was, it's just an example of what I saw, more hypocrisy. Hypocrisy built on top of hypocrisy. So, you know, and then all the struggles that I went through when I came home with my addictions, with my unbelief. You know, not just necessarily in a religious or spiritual sense, I honestly did not believe in myself because I had changed. Something inside of me 
had shifted after seeing what I had seen and done what I did. And it gets harder every day. I can't even... It's hard for me to bring up a lot of the things that I was a participant in and think that that was okay. War brings out the best of some people and war brings out the worst of a lot of people. And then to come home... And if I look at somebody like little Evan and to think that he might be used as a pawn to kill others. You know, there was a soldier over there that shared a story that they went into a village and there was a little baby crying inside of one of the huts. And he went in to pick the baby up and the baby was booby-trapped. It's just ridiculous. And for anybody to look back at that and you think, that's okay. It's war. War is Satan's work. That's all that it is. Satan's work. You know, even if this guy from North Korea drops a missile somewhere on a piece of land that's owned by somebody else, what's that going to do? What's the answer to it? You know, We've got to sit down and talk with each other. You know, when Jesus ministered to people, he talked with them. He taught them. You know, I'm sure that, you know, I look at, at how God's power is and what he can do just by speaking. Just, he created. He created the earth. He created the heavens. He created all the stars. One thing I love to do is I get up very early and I'll go outside and I look at the stars and I think, wow, God is great. You know, we're out camping or something. I'll, I'll get up and I'll look outside and just all these stars, you know, and how beautiful it is. And I think he could just speak and those things came. Now that's power. But why, does he, why would he do that? I mean, I, I get these strange questions in my head sometimes. You know, why would God even want to create the earth? What, what's the sense in it? What, what good is I, what? This has probably just been a real thorn in his side. You know, compared to the rest of the universe, I don't know. I'm just, this is just what goes on in my little pea brain sometimes. I think about if heaven is such a wonderful place, why create this thing? that has turned out to be kind of a thorn in his side. And it, his power is his love. His power has nothing to do with being able to just take Malin and boom, he's gone. You know, sure, he could do that if he wanted to probably, but he doesn't because he loves him. He loves all of us, and that's, to me, Power. I just think about some of these situations that we have in our world today. If somebody could go up and say, I love you, what can I do for you? Instead of, hey, I got a bunch of missiles I can sell you. Or I've got these weapons I can sell you. So his power is in his word. It's the love that God has for all of us. Um, 
I think if I tried to speak anything, the only thing you would feel from me is maybe bad breath. You know, and that'd be it. There wouldn't be any power in it. So, um, you'll just have to bear with me. Sometimes I don't have all the stuff <laughs> together here. So, First uh, Corinthians 4.20 for the kingdom of God is, is not in word, but in power. Thanks, Jeff. Um, so his, his power is there for all of us. And in my life, I have seen God's power by looking back now, since we have come here to the church. When I look back now and I see all the stuff that I've been through, you know, with all of my addictions and everything else, there's always been somebody there, something there that has pulled me out of, you know, the potential to be dead. So it just is, it's him. I mean, I remember over in Vietnam, and I think I've shared this with you before, was that we went through a really bad rocket attack one evening. I was actually probably more late at night, but anyway, um, I mean, these things were hitting all over the place, and you could hear them. Well, I had just gotten in country, and I didn't know what these things were, because I'd never gone through any kind of a briefing or anything. To, usually, you go through this orientation thing, and all of a sudden, I heard this voice, clear as a bell, and nobody else was around me, and this voice said, get down. And then pretty soon the whole room just literally ripped apart. And a rocket had hit just outside of where I was staying. And it peeled the roof off, peeled it back. It looked like a sardine can. It just rolled this aluminum roof back like somebody had rolled it back. And there was big hunks of dirt, huge dirt clods sitting there in the room and in this little yard behind it. But I heard that voice. And at the time, I didn't pay much attention to it because nobody else was around me. And it was just like, get down. So I got down. And it was only because of that that I wasn't ripped in half by that rocket. And so that, that was probably the first time I had really... Later, I started thinking about that. That had to be a God thing. That's all it was. It was a God thing. So... It's just the first real time that I ever felt that, probably, that he was protecting me. And there were many other incidents over there kind of like that. But, and, you know, part of the whole thing was you just sort of got numb to it. You'd see the death and destruction. You'd get numb to it. So when I got home and I started to have to deal with some of these issues of thinking back about some of that stuff, getting numb was getting loaded. So that's how I dealt with things. I'd get loaded every day, either on alcohol or drugs or a combination thereof, one thing or another, just so that I could numb things out. But back in those days, too, it was a matter of this. This was in 1970. All the drugs and everything were all over the place. The alcohol was all over the place. Twenty years later, God leads me to a place where I can get my sobriety. He brings me a lady who had the patience and the willingness 
to work through a lot of things with me and to try and understand in her way of what I was going through because I didn't even understand why I would continue to use even when I didn't want to use. And I would just, I would fight it every day. But through Satan's work, he just said, no, you're, you know, you got to keep doing this. So in 1990, Nadine and I were blessed with, with an opportunity to go through a rehabilitation program. And that program taught me a lot of things about what I was struggling with. I was diagnosed with PTSD. I started, and I started to have some, okay, well, I can focus on this now. Now I understand, you know, the shift that was made inside of me. But it's all his power. I really had nothing to do with it. When Nadine was introduced to me, when I moved here up, and I moved up here in 1978 out of Pasadena. We, I met her the very first weekend I was here. We could care less about each other. You know, oh, hi, nice to meet you. Three years later, we're married. And so it was, but I was still in the grips of my addiction. And she was battling out of a, a pretty rough divorce. And so God was there. He was right there for both of us. And I continued to use for about another 10 years until... 1990 when I got into a rehab program and she was there walking along with me the whole time did she enjoy it no and Satan's work in me was so hard that hard on me or working hard on me was that he was saying don't worry about her don't worry about the family don't worry about anything it's just go ahead and keep using and it got to the point where I was really just using little bits here and there. And she, she was done with it, which I don't blame her, looking back at it. And so what it did, it's, it, it just, I was ready to go out onto the street and really use heavy drugs. And she was ready for a divorce. She was ready to take her kids and be gone. And then that's when I got, one day I just got whacked out, blacked out on the couch. Next thing I remember was some guys were there at my, standing over me. And this guy said, I have a rehab program for you in San Luis Obispo if you want to go. Now, if that's not God's work, that's all about him. I mean, why at that time? You know, I look back at it and think, well, why didn't he come in earlier? Why didn't, you know, because I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready for him to come in and, and take that from me yet. But by then, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. So he came in, God came in, and Nadine and I went to this rehab program that they had at a French hospital called Summit Place. And there I learned a lot, and I've been blessed totally now it's 20, 27 years. I'm bad with math. <laughs> so 27 years of sobriety. And it's all through him. 
Has there been temptations? Honestly, no. Once he removed that from me, I was done. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And he took that from me. And he said, now, I want, you have a work for me to do. And through that, I mean, I even call my addictions a blessing. Because from that insanity and that whole experience, Nadine and I have been able to share with many, many people this same story. Because her testimony to me is, is very strong. Because she comes from a background of being a, a caretaker, an enabler. And that, ladies from her era were raised in that kind of environment. You take care of your husband. You take care of the kids. You take care. You take care. You take care. And you think you're doing the right thing. But then when you have an addict like myself, and you have somebody taking care of everything for you, it makes your addiction easier. It makes it more simple for you to participate in your addiction. So through our rehab program, Nadine learned a lot about what she needed to do also. I think it was much more of an eye-opener for her because for me, it was pretty simple. I knew what I had to do. I needed to stop. I needed to figure out what was eating me up inside. Because you can get, you know, part of the, the recovery process in addictions is, sure, you have to stop the use of whatever it is that you're using. But you have to ask yourself the question, why do I want to do this? What is hurting inside of me that I need something to comfort myself with? And it's not necessarily just with drugs and alcohol, pornography, food, church. You say, church? Yeah. Church can be an addiction for some people. There are many people in 12-step programs who become what they call 12-step Nazis. That means they go from being addicted to a drug to addicted to the program. And the program in and of itself saves nobody. It's your surrender to God, giving what you think is your power to Him, and let Him do the work. But He also gives you tools. It's like we were, I was talking to Malin, and, and we were talking about the depression recovery program and, and any other program. There's tools to be used. But if you just read, okay, these are the tools, and you don't stand up and say, okay, now I've got to take those tools, and I've got to now use them in my life so that I can fix whatever it is that's wrong. You know, it'd be like Eldon building a home, and he starts out, he says, okay, I've got all the tools, so, but how do you use any of these, you know? You got the tools, but you got to learn how to use them. You got to learn how to cut that wood the right dimension. You got to learn how to drive that nail in the right way. And there is usually a right way to do it. I'm sure that Eldon can, can attest to you start, you lay your first board, and you're just one centimeter off. By the time you get down to the other end, that board's way out of whack. So if you take tools that you've been given and you use them in the wrong way, 
you don't follow how the plan that's been set out, it can kind of go off to the side. But the blessing that God gives us is that, you know something? Here's a, a pry bar. Rip that board up and straighten it out. And I feel like he does that in our life, too. If we're kind of veering off to one side or another and you see it, he says, okay, come on back. Let's straighten this thing out. Let's come back and do it the right way. And there's been many a times that I have done that. And praise God for his love and his care, his mercy and his grace, that he says, okay, John, you're, you're heading off the wrong way here. And we need to kind of straighten this out. You know, come back. Come back the, the way that is the right way to do things. So, I mean, Nadine and I discuss a lot of things that we want to do and, and do it together. And there's many a times I don't agree with some of the things she wants to do. And there's things that I want to do that she doesn't agree with. But if we keep our focus on Jesus, if we keep our eyes on his plan for our life, we're going to be fine. Does that mean we're always going to agree? If she just follow my lead, we'll be fine. You know? <laughs> Praise God she doesn't. <laughs> As most of you know, I'll lead <laughs> all over the place. So, um, his power is just that love that he has for all of us. It's just, to me, it's just amazing. You know, the things that he puts up with, with us. Yeah. So... Um, I mean, I, I think that one of the, the most moving pieces of Scripture that, um, that I always lean on is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his own begotten Son. I mean, it just... Why would you send your only Son to a place that you really didn't care for? that you thought was like, oh, this, this has just become a dumping ground. These people have just gone way off whack. You know, they don't, they don't care. And you look around the world today, and it sure looks that way in so many different situations. It looks like the world is just one big mess. So, he loves us. He wants to take care of us. You know, so it's just by his, his grace. And um, I look at how he has changed my life so much. I mean, when I came here to this church the first time, and, and we basically, um, it was really through Nadine's desire to come back to church because she had been a, baptized as an Adventist. I don't know what year it was, but she'd been away from the church about 30 years, correct? Yeah. And we were over in Hawaii on a vacation, and she said, I want to go back to church. And I said, great, go ahead. You know, I got things to do on Saturday. <laughs> you know, I'll just keep working on Saturdays. And so she came back to church, and it was just through Jan Hoffman. Because she'd had a real bad experience at another Adventist church. And when she came into this church... Jan immediately gave her a big hug and welcomed her in. And Jan even admits, she says, I'm not a hugging person. I don't hug that much. So she gave Nadine a big hug. And then Nadine came home and said, 
you know, there's this young black pastor that you have got to come see. He's from Jamaica. He came out of the hip-hop world. And I was sharing this with the Lewises one time. I said, <laughs> you know, because they're Jamaican. And, I, and that's what Ivor was. Well, my sick brain, I got this guy with dreadlocks and one of those hats. And I'm going, wow, all right. I got to come to this church and see what this is all about. So they had this um, Amore Cafe thing, I think they called it at the time. And I figured, hey, I can get free food, and then I can check these people out, see what they're like, see what you guys are all about. Because I, I, I'll tell you what, I was still struggling with the hypocrisy thing. I was still in, Satan had that grip on me of, uh, you know, religion's all hypocrisy. It's all a bunch of hypocrites. So I came here very disappointed because Ivor had a shaved head, he didn't have any dreadlocks. He, <laughs> he didn't wear one of those caps. And I'm going, man, this is the great disappointment. Not knowing that there was a great disappointment, but I didn't know anything about that stuff. You know? But it was a blessing because Ivor spotted Nadine, and he, he's going, is that him? Is that, is, that, is that your husband? So he immediately came over, and we hugged. We embraced and then we started doing some Bible studies with Aaron's folks and uh, with Hap and Vicki. And because we had done some Bible studies with some Jehovah Witnesses and had a very, I struggled greatly with that. I loved having them come by because I could argue with them about stuff, but it's confusing. I was just like, whoa, you know, and then that's really what triggered Nadine a lot to, to really, for us to really start looking back into the Bible because she started to remember the Holy Spirit impressed upon her heart. This is not biblical. So when they would leave, she'd get the Bible out because they brought their own Bible. So she would look at the Bible and she'd say, see, this is, this is what it really says, not what they were telling us. So when we came and started studying with Hap and Vicky, and it was a blessing because Kathy was, was there too a lot of the times. And, and uh, we would, Vicky, if you know Vicky, Vicky has an agenda. I mean, the first time I met her, she had a spreadsheet. I think that's what she calls them, spreadsheets. And she had every meal for them for the whole year. And I went, what? I don't even know what I'm going to have for dinner tonight, you know? But she's, that's Vicky. That's, she, she's comfortable that way. She wants to do things that way. Everything's on a spreadsheet, and you've got to have it just boom, boom, boom. So we would start out a Bible study at their house, and Rich and Cindy Almendaris were there with us a lot of the times too. And it was just my nature to start asking questions. And the beauty of it was... When they didn't have an answer out of the Bible, either Hap and Vicky would say, all right, let's stop, let's look in the Bible, and let's discuss this. Let's see what we can come up with here. Whereas with others, when we've studied with them, well, next week when we come back, we'll show you it. And what it was, you'd come back and they'd printed out something or typed up something and given it to you, some kind of doctrine. It wasn't Scripture. So... The Holy Spirit was working on my heart that, 
You know, there's some truth in this church. There's some truth with these people. So as I came to the church, and I was baptized in 2007, Nadine was rebaptized in 2007. But we had done some studying with Ivor and with Happ and Vicki, and the thing that was a blessing to me, it's like I might be able to go to Mark or, you know, one of, or Ron or somebody who'd been in the church for a while and ask a question and come up with a, a biblical answer, not something that they had just pulled out of thin air. And I enjoyed that. Is, is all my questions answered? No. And it won't be until Jesus comes and gets us again. Because I got a lot of questions for him. And will I care at that time? Maybe not. Maybe yes, maybe no. I don't know. I just hope the day is I will see him. That will be all I need. Because probably by then I won't have to have any of that stuff answered. But, you know, and then as we were here for a while, God just has kept working on me all the time. You know, I remember when Ashley called us and said she wanted to come out here and go to school. And she wanted to come out to California and go to college. And so we talked about it, and so Ashley came, and we, we flew back to North Carolina, to Fayetteville. And Ashley has this little Toyota Corolla. Is that what that thing is? Yeah. It's just, it's a small car. And we drove that thing with her belongings and the three of us cross-country. And she had most of her stuff in black trash bags. And that little car was stuffed. And we just took a little suitcase back with us. Most of it was Nadine's makeup. But um, <laughs> we, we took, yeah, I think I got, you know, one shirt. Yeah. It's kind of how we traveled to Hawaii, too. You know, it's like, you're going to take all of this? Well, yeah. But... We had this little suitcase, and we had a little spot where we could put our suitcase, and then the rest of it was all Ashley stuff jammed in there. The back seat was just about packed, just enough room for somebody to sit there. And, and so, but it was a lot of fun going across country, actually, in her little car. Um, we would get a few miles out from someplace, and we'd say, well, let's stop in this area or that area. And so Ashley would get on her little phone, and praise God she was with us because I wouldn't know how to do this stuff with those phones. And she'd find a Hampton Inn where we could stay. Because they always had these little, when you leave in the next morning, they'd give you this little bag of a water bottle, a piece of fruit, and something else in there. And, and so it was a nice little treat to have when you first start out. You know, you could have breakfast there. And I mean, the first night was, it was kind of like we drove into a, to Utopia there because there was a Hampton Inn, there was an Olive Garden, and a Starbucks. And man, we just like, all right. So we <laughs> took care of business. Next morning, hit the Starbucks, and we hit the road. But as we, the very last night that we stopped, um, stayed at a Hampton Inn, got our little bag. So we were getting close to the California border. And I don't know if it was Ashley who lost the apple or anyhow, one of the apples out of the bag got loose and it went underneath all of this stuff. Well, we're coming to the border check and here's these big signs, you know, no fruit, no vegetables. And we're going, ah, they're going to throw us in jail, you know, because <laughs> we lost this apple. So we get to the border check and it's hot. 
And as a young guy, go ahead. <laughs> he just, I think he just wanted to get out of the sun. But I was really kind of surprised because we had North Carolina plates and all of these black bags stuck in there. You know, we could have been running drugs across the border for all this guy knew. He, just, he, didn't, want, he didn't care. Yeah, he just wanted. But my point was, it, you know, Ashley was, came from a very um, scientific background in her education at that time. And, and so we had some pretty good discussions coming across country about creation and evolution and so on and so forth and what we had learned and we were fairly new to a lot of the stuff so we didn't have you know a lot of the answers to things but as we came across and you know and then we got Ashley all settled and everything and we didn't know this but Vicki was praying for Aaron to meet a Christian girl a Christian woman well, Ashley really didn't have too much interest in, in the church. And so we started to take her to, she wanted to go to the Bible studies. And it was interesting because if most of you knew Aaron at that time, Aaron would come, he'd sneak in the back of the church, listen for a few minutes, and then when the pastor was done, he's gone. And then Bible studies at their house was, Aaron would come out and say hi, and then he's back in his room. Well, Ashley shows up. Aaron's spending a little more time out there with us, and then a little more time, and uh, so it's just been all God's work. I mean, I look at the three of them now, and how he has worked in Ashley's life and Aaron's life, and now there's Evan. And I mean, to Nadine and I, he is such a blessing to us to have this little guy. And, you know, I just think that a lot of the young kids in this church, there is such a blessing here for them. I just wish there was a way that I knew how to keep them in here. Because it just seems like so many of the kids get to a certain age and whoop, they're gone. So I don't know what the answer is to something like that. But in my heart, I have to lean on Jesus so that he will... He's the one who can help people stay here. You know, so our journey here has been one that has been totally, looking back at it, has been totally guided by Jesus. That it's been his work. You know, we take Cliff and Jan a lot of times to a prayer meeting with us, and we always have some great conversation, and Jan always says that Cliff and I should never get together because we're just too rowdy together. But, you know, Cliff, it's his fault. It's not mine. He just, he always starts something and then I have to, you know, calm him down. And so, but, you know, I just pray that this church will continue to grow. And the way that it grows in my mind is that we have to surrender ourselves up, everything up. To Jesus that he will do the work because if we let our wills get in the way it just is almost like you throw up a, a block wall in front of stuff because every time I've ever done that you know it always stops things when my will is, when I try to do my will and not let his will be done that board gets out of whack everything starts to go sideways 
you know, in our prayer meeting has been a, a total blessing lately, too. And I mean, it has been for quite a while. And that was another thing that the Holy Spirit impressed upon Nadine and I to keep the prayer meeting going when Pastor Myers thought it was better to not because we weren't having very many people come. And I just asked him, I said, would you mind if we kept it open? He said, no, no, if you want to lead it, then fine. So we did. And it's become such a blessing right now to have the people show up. So I really encourage you to come if you can on Wednesday evenings at 7. Um, you know, there's been a lot of answers to prayer through our prayer group, for, through prayer meeting. Um, I was texting pastor just the other day, and he said that Leah had gotten a cold, a bad cold on, I guess it was Wednesday sometime, and she was in bed. And this morning he says, and I told him that we were praying for her, that I had put her in the prayer book, the prayer journal that we have. This morning he texted and said that she's back up and she feels great. It was just a little example of how prayer is so strong, how answers to prayer are great. You know, so I'm sure there's probably a million things. Once I get down from here, I could think, why didn't I say this? Why didn't I? You know, so I just praise God for the work that he has done in me and the power that he has put into not just my life, but that power is his love, not some kind of physical power that we as human beings measure. It's his love that is his power, not, you know, you can look at all these things that he's created, but he created you and I to be loved by him, to be cared for by him. You know, I I see our new school teacher here, our new principal, and I, I, I pray that that school will grow. I pray for consistency in that school. You know, all schools seem to be struggling. Our daughter is a, a teacher at Paso High School. She's been there over 20 years. This year it's a struggle for her. After that many years, you'd think that that system would get it going. They have 300 extra kids and less teachers. So the administration in their wisdom thinks, oh, well, we'll just load more up on these other teachers. She's teaching as an English as a second language class with an honors English class. You have two different sides of the spectrum. How do you do that? And they're just basically saying, do it. Just do it. Just get it done. So it's leaving it up to them. But this is... Schools struggle. So we need to keep not only our school, but, you know, pray for the public school systems. They need help. Um, I don't know what's the right one if you have a child who's looking to go into a school. I pray that our school will continue to grow and that kids will want to be there and that they will love to learn about Jesus through that. So that's my prayer. But I do pray for the public schools that it, they will get some consistency also, just probably because our daughter is a teacher. You know? And I've seen some good kids come out of public schools. You know? 
But I just pray that Jesus will continue to strengthen this church, continue to help it grow bigger and bigger. And I thank you for most of you not falling asleep while I was up here talking. (laughs) You know, I don't know what it is. I get about halfway through, no matter who's preaching. I think it's the lights. I'll blame the lights. And my eyelids get so heavy. I'm just like, oh, come on. And usually Nadine and I are sitting right here, and Zach can see everything. You know, he's 22 feet tall, and he can see all of you. You think you're napping back there in the back? He can see it. He knows you're snoozing, you know. Especially, you know, it's a little bit tacky if you get that lean and the drool. That's, that's not too good. So, um, so I just would like to end with a little bit of prayer and just praise God for all the work that he's done in this church and also the work that he's done in Nadine and I's relationship. I just pray for strength in our relationship with him And that will strengthen our relationship together. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this beautiful Sabbath day that you have given us. We thank you for your power that works within all of us. May you help us to unleash that power and feel your love within inside of our hearts and our minds. We just ask you to keep those people who have to be outside today safe and keep them hydrated. Uh, Just... Protect them, dear Lord. and We thank you for this time that we've been able to come and share with you. And we thank you for the work that you have done within this church. You know that there's so many things to pray about in this time. And we just know that you know all of these situations so much better than we do. So we just thank you and praise you. And may we have a just blessed rest of the Sabbath day. In your son's name I pray. Amen.